Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. National emergency? President Trump uses executive power to get his wall. But did he already undercut his case? I didn't need to do this. Even some in his own party disagree with the move. I'm disappointed. Will Republicans vote to stop the president? Plus, staking their ground. Divisions emerge among the 2020 Democratic field. Do a public option. We need to have Medicare for all. What kind of nominee do Democrats want? Democratic senator and potential presidential contender Sherrod Brown weighs in. And new revelations. The drip, drip, drip of the Mueller probe continues with new allegations about Roger Stone's ties to WikiLeaks, as a leading senator says his committee has still found no proof of collusion. The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, responds. Hello, I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is facing a constitutional showdown. President Trump is at his golf resort in Florida this weekend after declaring a national emergency on Friday in order to secure funding for a wall along the southern border. It's intended to bypass Congress and allow the president to redirect billions of federal dollars toward the wall. The move is already facing challenges in the courts and Democrats are vowing to try to stop the president legislatively. Some Republicans are also criticizing the tactic. Senator Marco Rubio said, quote, no crisis justifies violating the Constitution. And just like he did in 2016, President Trump is making the wall a central part of his 2020 re-election campaign. He held a rally this past week in El Paso, Texas, and displayed signs reading, finish that wall, even though no new wall has been built. Democrats, for their part, They're on the campaign trail, pushing back on the national emergency declaration, calling it manufactured and inappropriate. And as President Trump hones his 2020 strategy, some in the Democratic Party are looking to a candidate who hasn't decided yet whether to run. And that candidate, potential candidate, is Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, a longtime progressive and proud populist. And he joins me now from his home state of Ohio. Good morning, Senator. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to be back. Let's let's start with the president's national emergency declaration. You said it seems like he's trying to ignore the Constitution, but you defended President Obama for taking executive actions on immigration when Congress wouldn't act. So why is it okay for President Obama and not President Trump. Well, this is this is the first kind of emergency we've seen like this that a president's done this. He he couldn't get the Mexicans to build the wall. He couldn't get Congress to vote the money. And this is the in fact the first emergency declaration like this, um, in, in with that kind of construct where he got turned down by Congress and then went ahead and did it. That's why you see so many Republicans saying, "Don't do this." Uh, Republicans are afraid that he's going to take the money from somewhere else uh, in something they care about. But fundamentally, they think it's a president who failed, who hates to lose, who's acting childish and is 
is is violating the Constitution. Republican after Republican is telling us that privately. Um, we will have a vote on this likely in the next two or three weeks. Uh, see if those Republicans show the backbone that they generally haven't shown standing up to this president in the past. But this is more serious because it's a constitutional question. So I take them at their word that they'll stand up to him. Senator, in a series of tweets on Friday, you said several other topics were actually national emergencies like gun violence. Republicans have shown no willingness to pursue new gun control legislation. So if you were president, would you declare a national emergency on gun violence? No, I, I don't think you think as, as a potential president, I don't think any candidate or any sitting president should think, well, these are the big problems. I'm going to go after them in the national emergency. The national emergency. I mean, I, when you look at gun violence, uh, when you look at opioids, when you look at infrastructure, how we've failed, this government has failed to address those issues, you need presidential leadership to do that. Look back 50 years when Congress in the, in the White House in our country realized that tobacco was a huge public health threat. All of the federal government with all kinds of local community people, governments, businesses, labor unions, all pulled together. We've cut the, the rate of smoking in half and cut but, it by even more than that among young people. So you need a president that's going to do that on opioids, call on a national uh, it's, whether it's called an emergency or not, get get people engaged that way, not sign a sign a resolution like this and then then go out and make speeches but, like but, this president's doing without really addressing real emergencies, because this isn't the emergency that gun violence is and infrastructure is and, and opioids is. One more specific question on uh, on the border wall. Former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke says he supports taking the border wall, the border fencing in and around El Paso, where he's from, down, because he said it hasn't made the country safer. Do you think the existing walls and fencing along the border should come down? I, I don't live in El Paso, and I take the congressman there at his word. But you're uh, a United States I, senator who does these I, you know, I understand that, but I don't, I don't think you look at the border wall in a 12-mile area. I, I take a backseat to nobody in border security, and it's clear we've learned over time that we have the technology, helicopters, uh, border agents to make our country safe and to keep to keep illegal crossings at a minimum uh, without building a long wall. Uh, that's a decision that should be made in the whole context. You don't say, well, this congressman says take it down here. This congressman says build it mm -hmm. up there. You really want to look look more broadly than that. Senator, let's talk about the policy debates going on within the Democratic Party right now. And I want to start with health care. You just introduced a bill this past week that would allow Americans over 50 years old to buy into Medicare. But more than 20 million people are uninsured under the age of 50. So a lot of your colleagues, as you know, are supporting Medicare for all, a plan that would cover everyone. Why aren't you? Well, I, I support universal coverage and have since I paid my own health insurance mm -hmm. when I first came to Congress, promised to do that, paid it for years. But why doesn't this plan... Cover no, 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 I, I understand that. I'm just giving you a little background sure. of where, where what, what my, my background in this. And, but I, I want to help people now. I mean, I, I want to expand Medicare to 50. We did that 10 years ago. We, we fell one vote short when Senator Lieberman changed his vote. That would have been part of the Affordable Care Act, Medicare at 55 in those days. Um, our bill now with Senator Stabenow and others is to bring Medicare voluntary buying at 50. I want to help people now. If we get enough people, we will see a lot of people get in in that plan, 58-year-olds and 62-year-olds that have lost their insurance, lost their jobs, um, we will see the success of that, and that will end up um, continuing to broaden 
and expand coverage for so many Americans. And what and would your plan you, be in the short term to cover people under 50? Well, you, you, you first of all, you, you, you go to Congress and you fix uh, the problems with the Affordable Care Act. You stop the attacks that President Obama's made um, on the, with the navigators. Uh, he's taken people, he's, 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 uh, he's basically fired people that help people get on insurance that could get that could get subsidized insurance and be in the in the exchanges that could get to Medicaid. Government needs all in and helping people get on Medicaid. Uh, I think that if we, you know, I, I again, I go back and I want to help people now and helping people now is is building on the Affordable Care Act, not not uh, repealing Obamacare, which is what they suggest. It's um, it's making sure we fix the consumer protections. Mm -hmm. Uh, for pre-existing conditions, it's all of those things. That will mean a lot more people almost immediately you, can get insurance. And do you that's not think that Medicare for All is practical? I think Medicare for All will take a while, and it's difficult. And it's selling it to people who now have insurance that would have to, that would have, to have their insurance plans canceled and move into a government plan. I think that's difficult. I want to help people now. That's why you do Medicare at 50. I want to build, again, I say, I want to build on the Obamacare, not repeal it with a whole new plan. One more healthcare question. Do you sure. believe there's a place for private health insurance? Yeah, I just said that. I said that in so many words that mm -hmm. that um, that you, you, you build on the Affordable Care Act. Right. You don't wipe it off, wipe it away, and then come up with something new that will take time and will cause people angst and anguish to move to a different plan. Give, okay. give people the options now at Medicare at 50. Uh, fix the Affordable Care Act. Get rid of the, do the consumer, strengthen consumer protections on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, when, when insurance companies cancel their plans, pre-existing condition. Senator, let's move on to jobs. A big topic for you, I know. There is a really big divide in your party over Amazon. They backed out of plans to build a second headquarters in New York City. Amazon had promised 25,000 new jobs. You spend so much of your time talking about the dignity of work. Did progressives in New York who lobbied against Amazon make a mistake? No, I, I don't think this is a big division in the party. I think there's local communities that resent um, giving huge tax breaks to billionaires, as those of us in Congress fight against giving big tax breaks to billionaires, whether you look at Foxconn in Wisconsin or Amazon in various places. What we need to do is look at it more broadly. Uh, My Patriot Corporation Act is, is simple. It simply says if you throw out the Trump tax bill, the trillion and a half dollar mostly give away to the richest people in this country and to huge corporations. That's fundamentally what it was. Seventy percent of the benefits went to the top one percent. You then implement the Patriot. My Patriot Corporation Act simply says if you play by the rules, you pay decent wages and benefits, you do your production in the United States, you get a lower tax rate. But if you're one of those companies, you big, big companies, executives making millions, but you pay a lot of your workers 10 and 12 and $15 mm -hmm. an hour, and they're eligible for food stamps and eligible for Medicaid and eligible for Section 8 housing, uh, you have a core, you, you levy on them a corporate freeloader loader fee. They reimburse taxpayers for the money that, that we as taxpayers spend subsidizing their employees that will make a fairer tax system and we won't we won't see these companies coming into yeah. communities and just ask d demanding huge tax breaks in order to locate there so you, you just talked about your corporate tax plan i want to ask you about another policy proposal uh, that you say would help working families it would double the earned income tax credit expand the child tax credit how are you going to pay for that 
Well, you pay for it by, as I said earlier, you that's that's part of the corporate freeloader fee, the Patriot Corporation Act in our plan that you just mentioned but, that will but, expand. But would that cover you, you, yeah, you pay, you, you pay for it by you, you wipe off the books, the Trump tax bill that blew a trillion and a half dollar hole in the budget. You mm-hmm. start with, instead of giving those tax breaks to the wealthiest people in this country, you focus those tax breaks on corporations that, shall we say, are patriotic, do their production here. You have revenue coming in from the Patriot freeloader fee and, and from, from the corporate freeloader fee, and then the money, then you'll have money available for, um, for uh, middle income, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000. How do you feel year. about the it, marginal tax rate on the super rich? Should that also yeah, be increased? I, I don't, I, I, there will be a lot of individual questions on, you know, when a senator in a campaign uh, offers a tax, a tax plan or a congresswoman or a congressman does the same. I want to, I want to build into, so I'm not going to answer but you each think one you individually. Can, but you think yeah. you can do your plan without raising the marginal tax rate? For the super rich, I guess that's my question. Can you do it with just no, with the corporate I think, change? Well, I, I, I answered that earlier by uh, by saying eliminate the Trump tax bill, uh-huh. uh, the Trump and- Trump tax law, and let's go from there and see. I mean, I I, I of course support a, a, a graduated income tax. I always have. I mean, I from my votes against the Iraq War 20 years ago to my support for marriage equality, I've always been a progressive and I'm consistent on tax policy. I just don't want to pick this. Pick this one off the menu and that one off the menu and yeah. say yes to that and no to that. I, I want a comprehensive tax bill, but fundamentally it's aimed towards middle class benefits, having the wealthy pay their fair share, just getting corporations to act responsibly for communities rather than rigging the system so that they don't play off community against community and, and just worker against worker. Put a button on this. You, you, it sounds like you are saying taxes should go up for the wealthy and people who have gotten tax breaks. Of course, the wealthy the wealthy have had huge tax breaks over the years. The, the Trump tax plan, 70% went to the wealthiest 1%. Of course, taxes should go up for them. But I'm, I'm in, in that, but that's all part of a plan to make corporations actually operate in the, to, to align corporations incentives with what's good for communities. We haven't done that. We've aligned, we've corporations incentives have been what's good for corporations. Senator. That hasn't worked. We've seen wages, we've seen productivity go up, we've seen corporate corporate profits go up, we've seen corporate executive compensation explode, but wages have been flat. It's partly because of a tax system, it's partly because of a trade policy that, that sells out American workers and, Senator, and fundamentally sells out American communities. Before I let you go, you traveled to two of the four early voting states. Have you learned anything that would keep you out of the race? Uh, no, I haven't learned. I've learned a lot of things about communities. And I, I've been to Iowa, New Hampshire, and we're going to Nevada and South Carolina in the next couple of weeks. Connie and I go, Connie and I go together. Um, we, will, we will have a timetable in the next couple, three weeks to make a decision. And I, Are the odds I, I still guess, 50-50, as you've said before? Um, pro- or, probably more or less. I don't know. Yeah. Higher? <laughs> I don't know. 50, 50, 51, 49. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Senator. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, I appreciate Jan, it. Always. Thank you. <laughs> and as the Mueller investigation appears to be nearing an end, House Democrats say their probe is only just beginning. Will they accept the special counsel's results? We'll ask the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee next. And a top Trump advisor called President Obama imperial for trying to get around the will of Congress. But what about now? that President Trump is doing the same thing. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. 
More legal trouble for former Trump associates. The special counsel is recommending up to 24 years in prison for former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort for financial crimes. As prosecutors revealed for the first time that they uncovered direct communications between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks. An allegation that raises more questions about how involved the former Trump associate was in getting information about hacked Russian emails. Joining me now is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff of California. There are so many questions to get to about the Russia investigation. But first, I want to ask you about the president's decision to declare a national emergency on the border. You called the decision, quote, plainly unconstitutional. But the law does give the president broad discretion on when to invoke these statutes. And Congress has never really defined what a national emergency is. So why is it unconstitutional? Well, because this is the first time a president has tried to declare an emergency when Congress explicitly rejected funding for the particular project that the president is advocating. Uh, And in saying just the other day that he didn't really need to do this, Uh, he just wanted to do it because it would help things go faster. He's pretty much daring the court uh, to strike this down. So it's hard to imagine a a poor case. But I'll say this, Dana, it is going to be a real test. Uh, for my GOP colleagues in Congress and their devotion to the institution. If we give away, if we surrender the power of the purse, which is our most important power, uh, there will be little check and no balance left. It'll not be a separation of powers anymore, just a separation of parties. So this is going to be a moment of truth for my GOP colleagues. Well, and you're referring, of course, to what the House is likely to do and later the Senate, which is a a joint resolution to terminate the president's national emergency. But let me ask you about potentially going a step further, uh, because that would be hard to get a veto proof majority on in both chambers. Do you think that Congress should actually change the law so that the president can no longer declare a national emergency without the support of Congress? Well, there are reasons why a president should have an ability to declare an emergency that is under a real emergency. Uh, That's plainly not the case here. And the risk that the president takes, uh, the risk to future presidencies, is that we limit the president's power to act when it really is necessary, when it is not practical to bring the Congress into session on a moment's notice. But this president doesn't care about future presidents. Uh, He only cares about himself. Uh, And in this case, he only cares about placating his conservative critics. Let's talk about the Mueller investigation. We learned on Friday that the special counsel obtained evidence of Roger Stone's direct communication with WikiLeaks, which he had said before didn't exist. And we also know that Stone was coordinating with the senior Trump campaign official and those emails were hacked by the Russians. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells me that, as we have seen uh, in other cases that the special counsel has brought, The full story is not in the indictment, uh, that it is very possible that the best evidence uh, is yet to come, uh, that, uh, in fact, here there were search warrants executed uh, on multiple accounts uh, of these Russian hackers that reveal communications between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks uh, and essentially directly with the GRU and Roger Stone because the GRU was acting with the persona Guccifer II. The substance of those communications can be very telling. Uh, It may go to what Roger Stone was trying to find out. It may go to whether he was communicating that information to people back in the White House. Uh, It could be very revealing, and we'll just have to wait to find out. 
This week, the chair, uh, your counterpart in the Senate, the Republican chair of the Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, said that his committee has found nothing to suggest collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. You said, quote, that's not our view in the House. But, you know, Burr hasn't exactly been a rabid partisan on this until the last couple of weeks. He's been working very closely with the Democrats. So why do you think he's wrong? Well, it's not just that I think he's wrong. Uh, Mark Warner, the vice chair of the Intel Committee in the Senate, also disagrees with that assessment. But look, you can see evidence in plain sight uh, on the issue of collusion, pretty compelling evidence. Now, uh, there's a difference between seeing evidence of collusion and being able to prove a criminal conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt. But, you know, Chairman Burr must have a different word for it, because when you look, for example, at the emails to set up the meeting in Trump Tower, uh, it was offered to the Trump campaign, to the president's own son, dirt on Hillary Clinton as part of what was described as the Russian government's effort to help uh, Donald Trump uh, in the campaign. And the response from the campaign was, we would love to have the help. Now, that's an offer of help. That's an acceptance of help. There's an overt act in the Trump Tower uh, in furtherance of that. Uh, and of course, that's not even uh, contemplating the discussions with George Papadopoulos or the information about uh, the efforts uh, that uh, uh, Mike Flynn made to uh, work with the Russian ambassador secretly to undermine sanctions and then lie about that. All of this is evidence of collusion. Uh, and you either have to look the other way to say it isn't or you have to have a different word for it because it is a corrupt dealing uh, with a foreign adversary during a campaign. Uh, but again, it will be up to Mueller to determine whether that amounts to criminal well, conspiracy. Well, on that note, we expect at some point, maybe soon, maybe not, the findings of the Mueller investigation to finally uh, be completed. If he finds that there was no direct collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, will you accept that? Well, we're going to have to do our own investigation, and we are. Uh, we'll certainly be very interested to learn what Bob Mueller finds. Uh, we may have to fight to get that information. Uh, Bill Barr has... Uh, not been willing to commit to provide that report either to the Congress or to the American people. Uh, we're going to need to see it. The American people are going to need to see it. We may also need to see the evidence behind that report. There may be, for example, evidence of collusion or conspiracy that is clear and convincing, but not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. The American people are entitled to know if there's evidence of a conspiracy between either the president or the president's uh, campaign uh, and a foreign adversary. Uh, at the end of the day, the most important thing for the American people to know is whether the president is somehow compromised, whether there's a leverage that the Russians could could use over the president. And if the Russians are in a position to expose wrongdoing by the president or his campaign, you're, that's compromising. You're talking about transparency. But I guess the, the question is, in, in terms of what the substance of his uh, his findings are, Robert Mueller, Will you, given the fact that he has had such an extensive uh, investigation, will you accept the findings separate from the investigation that you're doing? Uh, you know, I will certainly accept them in, in this uh, way, Dan. I have great confidence in the special counsel. Uh, and if the special counsel uh, represents that he has investigated uh, and not been interfered with uh, and not been able to make a criminal case, then I will believe that he is operating in good faith. Federal prosecutors are still considering whether to bring charges against former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe after he allegedly lied to investigators about authorizing leaks to the media. Now, we've seen at least five Trump associates indicted 
for just that lying to investigators. Do you think McCabe should be prosecuting, prosecuted for doing the same thing? Well, the Justice Department received a, a referral from the inspector general. I think they need to study that and the evidence, and they need to make an objective determination about it. I think he should be held to the same standard as anyone else that the Justice Department has looked at in this investigation or any other. A little bit of 2020 politics before I let you go. The governor of your state, Gavin Newsom, endorsed California Senator Kamala Harris in the Democratic primary for 2020. Uh, he joined four of your fellow California representatives in Congress. So what about you? Are you going to endorse Senator Harris for president? I haven't made any decisions in the presidential race yet. It's still very early. Uh, but I have to say I've been very impressed with uh, Kamala Harris as a senator. Uh, and I've been extremely impressed with her as a candidate for president. Uh, in a rare bout of truthfulness uh, by President Trump, he acknowledged what a superb rollout she's had. Uh, and I think we can already compare her favorably with some of the other candidates uh, this early, but I'm not ready to make a decision. Okay. California Representative and uh, Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. The president's power play is forcing some Republican lawmakers to make a tough choice, support their principles or their president. I'll ask a prominent Trump supporter what he thinks next. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. And I don't have to do it for the election. I've already done a lot of wall for the election, 2020. And the only reason we're up here talking about this is because of the election. Because they want to try and win an election, which it looks like they're not going to be able to do. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. President Trump, you heard him there, seeming to undercut his own argument that there is an emergency at the border. I've got my panel with me. Let's discuss. Senator Santorum, let's start with you. You are a Republican who has expressed reservations about using this uh, executive power. If you were in the Senate still, would you vote on that principle or would you vote with the president? Uh, look, I think the president has the authority to do it. So it's, it's hard for me as a, as a senator to say, well, uh, I disagree with him on the principle that he could exercise national emergency. He, he can. The Congress gave him broad authority to do it. Mm -hmm. Should he have done it in this instance? The answer is no. I don't think he should have done it in this interest. I think he could have, he could have done, in fact, most of the money, if you look at his spending, he could have spent that without declaring a national emergency. So I, I don't think it was the right thing to do. He gave the reason as to why he's doing it, because it makes it easier for him to deploy the money. Declaring this national emergency gives him the authority not just to rearrange some money, but to be able to bypass some things to be able to get his wall built. So there's there are lots of reasons he did it. I think to be consistent, having had criticized President Obama for things far, far worse than what this president is doing. I think it's I think it's consistent for me to have voted no. And now the real reason that he did it, the real reason, I mean, there's a national emergency, but it doesn't have to do with what's going on at the border. He saw what was going on in Congress. He thought this weekend, if they got, if he signed a bill that didn't fund the wall, that we'd all be talking about what a loser he was, that he had failed in the budget negotiations. So he has to do something to change the subject. So he declares a fake crisis, a fake emergency at the border. And then what happens is that he puts it all on Republicans to try to remedy the problem. And what are the Republicans going to do? I appreciate the fact that you say, if you saying that you would not vote for it. And I think there were a few other Republicans over the past couple of days who said that. But Mitch McConnell, 
who has come out so strongly in favor of congressional authority. The, pre the national emergency that's going on is that the president is usurping the Constitution and taking away no. the power of Congress for a fake that's, emergency. That's and they true. are allowing him to do it if they allow this to go forward. He has pantsed them, and they are saying, hit me that's, again. That's, that simply is not true. He it has the true. authority well, under the National Emergency Act that Congress can... Not for not a, a fake emergency, Rick. Look, it is a look fake the, emergency, and everybody knows it. Look at the emergencies. Sierra Leone... Congo, those are national Miramar. crises that are happening in those national, countries. They yes, were not national. This is fake. He has this every is right fake, to do what Rick. he's doing. I just don't agree that well, he should be doing We're not going to settle here whether or not he has the right. It is going to go into the courts, and he's right about that. It's probably going to be struck down. What will happen in the Supreme Court will be interesting. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether conservatives on that court you know, look at the Constitution and say Article one says that Congress has the right to appropriate money. And he's been turned down on this. He did it because he couldn't get his way. He's not the great negotiator that everybody said he was. And frankly, that whole press conference he had, I, I think the real crisis here is the president's state of mind. That was the most <laughs> bizarre yes. performance I have ever seen in my 40 some years of politics in Washington, D.C., Never have I seen anything like that. You're the sitting member of Congress at this table. What do you think you guys are going to do? Well, there's going to be, I think, a two-pronged uh, response. There's going to be a resolution of disapproval, and there'll be a majority both, I think, in the House, clearly, uh, as well as in the, in the Senate now. And there's also going to be litigation filed. There'll be litigation filed by members of Congress. We're already seeing litigation by property owners, state government, local government. This is going to be tied up in the courts. Uh, but look, I, I agree. The, the crisis is in the Oval Office and, and not on the border. The, the president is declaring a national emergency, as he even stated in his announcement yesterday uh, or the day before, uh, because of 2020 and what he anticipates be a tough reelection. Uh, just like he sent active duty troops to the border before the 2018 midterms, he fabricates a crisis calls it a national emergency for political purposes. I want to play some, some uh, sound that our CNN's K-file found from the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, former member of the House, articulating conservative opposition to the then-president declaring a national emergency. An imperial presidency uh, is dangerous for everyone, and I think this is, um, this is the premier issue right now in Washington, D.C., um, I, 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 I don't think we're going to get anything across the president's desk that will pass a veto, but I do think we should put it on his desk and let him know that the elected officials of Congress, Republican and Democrat alike, object to him going around Congress. The, 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 the big difference here is what the president did on DACA, mm -hmm. uh, President Obama, mm -hmm. and what he did on, on the o Obamacare, both were counter to what the Congress wanted, just like what this president mm -hmm. is doing, but he had absolutely no authority to do so. None. In this case, Congress passed a law called the National Emergencies Act, which gives the president broad authority to do it. This is not a constitutional can, can, issue. Can, this can is I, unlike what Obama did. Obama was blatant and unconstitutional. Here's the problem. No Democrat fought Obama. Everyone said, oh, he's doing what we want, so we're all for it. Can, and, and that's the dishonesty that we're seeing out of the Democratic Party. Look, where I, it was clear that there was no authority whatsoever to do it. They didn't oppose. I'm sorry. To, to can, we, can we just. But can, he's, I don't think we he's have to have it. the facts here on DACA. The president did have the authority to not deport 
children who had arrived here. Uh, that was what but God he went was beyond about. He, that. he went beyond right. that and gave work permits, but he had the authority. I hate to do this, to, but we have to take a quick break. Oh. We have a lot more to talk about. Don't worry, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, we got to come back on a that point. A decision by Amazon is dividing the Democratic Party. We're going to talk about that and this next. Welcome back. Let's continue our conversation about the president's national emergency declaration, which, by the way, was continuing in a very lively way during the break. Yeah, I just want to respond to Rick's point about this hypocrisy. Number one, uh, Obama didn't use a national emergency, a fake national emergency to take yeah, money. No Wait, just to take money that Congress had previously appropriated for other purposes to fund DACA or DAPA because they didn't require that funding. It, and Obamacare importantly, did. the executive order was temporary. It was not a long term. This is a permanent wall to fund a fake emergency that everybody two, else is Two fake. other points on this also. Uh, with the DACA and the DREAM Act, uh, Congress refused to act. The House wouldn't take it up. But I think important is that the American people overwhelmingly supported uh, a fix for uh, the DACA, just as today Americans overwhelmingly reject the idea of a wall and a national emergency to build a wall. So there, there are plenty of distinctions right. and differences between DACA and, and the wall. And, you, and of course, you're ignoring the Affordable Care Act, where he took money that was not appropriated specifically under that. The Congress said, no, we're not giving you this money. And he took it from somewhere else and spent it to, to subsidize insurance companies. You ignore that. That's a reality. He had no authority to do it. The court struck him down from doing it. And you all applauded him. Doing I want to talk about difference. what a prominent Democrat who ran in Texas and lost uh, your former colleague, Better O'Rourke, said about the wall. He said basically that he believes that the wall should be taken down in his hometown of El Paso, Texas. What do you think? Yeah, look, I don't think we should be removing physical barriers. I mean, Congress appropriated $1.375 billion this go around, $1.3 billion before. There are physical barriers that impede pedestrian um, movement across the border, vehicular movement on the border. We focused on funding those barriers that resemble the designs that are currently deployed. So we, that's what we ought to do. There's no nation in the, in the world that doesn't protect its borders. I, I, I reject the idea that we should take down is gonna, walls. Is that going to hurt him? Um, I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, you have to, as Democrats have been saying, some portions need physical barriers. Some need technological barriers. You need to beef up your security. at the So portion. you would not take down. A, no. And this is playing right into President uh, Trump's hands. I mean, really, this, you know, uh, abolish ice, tear down the wall. We do need walls in some places. We don't need it for 2,000 miles, and we don't need it to be a concrete barrier. But having a wall in California, having a wall in Texas, where there are ports of entries uh, and where you want to protect the area around it, uh, it did, in fact, diminish the flow of people illegally into the United States when those sections of the wall were built. Okay, let's talk about Amazon pulling out of New York City because the progressives elected and otherwise in, in New York City lobbied against it. The mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, defended the deal in a New York Times op-ed this morning. And here's what he said. The agreement we struck with Amazon back in November was a solid foundation. The retail giant's expansion in New York encountered opposition in no small part because of growing frustration with corporate America. The lesson here is that corporations can't ignore rising anger over economic inequality anymore. Would you have rejected those jobs? Oh, no. <laughs> I would have never have you were rejected of a single job, all kinds of jobs for all kinds of people. So, no, I would have been thrilled 
to get Amazon. I understand why Bill de Blasio wanted them and why Cuomo, you know, really pushed for it. Um, and why Virginia is going to benefit enormously as a result of this. It's a shame that they, you know, that that they didn't come. But I do think the point that de Blasio is making about how a lot of these technology platforms has, have exacerbated income inequality. And it's hard to look away from the fact that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the entire world. And Amazon is a hugely successful corporation that obviously didn't need the tax breaks that were going to be spent when though that money could have been spent. I mean, it would have been great if Amazon agreed to, like, affix uh, the subway. What does it say about where progressives are, the power of progressives well, first in all, your party? Let me, look, first of all, let me say, we have plenty of progressives in Maryland, and we were vying for Amazon to yeah. come to Maryland. We're glad they're coming to Northern Virginia. We'll benefit in Maryland. But I think it's important to focus on, when you're talking about that public-private partnership to attract uh, a large corporation and plenty of jobs, uh, I think you focus less on the corporate subsidies and the tax incentives and focus on the infrastructure that you're going to bring yep. to that community to support. And it's not just roads and rail, but it's workforce development. It's affordable housing. And when you when you when you have that kind of partnership and you pitch that to the local community, you'll get the kind of support you need to bring twenty five thousand jobs. We'll gladly take them in Maryland. <laughs> Instead of those big tax breaks, how about just lowering your tax rates, states like New York? And then you will, in fact, attract more businesses as states with lower tax rates do. You know what Amazon paid in taxes last year? Zero in federal taxes. Zero. Largely because of the tax breaks that the federal government Because offered. they lost money for a long period right. of time. But anyway, the, the bottom line is Bill de Blasio is duplicitous in this, in this op-ed because he was one of the reasons they didn't come because of, of his comments uh, that, uh, that were hostile to Amazon about bringing unions in and all that sort of stuff. So he can he can he can he say that he comment. it was very hostile. And and so the reality is, you're now seeing America look at what socialism looks like. It oh, is hostile. It's That's... hostile to the private sector. It it plays class warfare, no matter how beneficial those things are. And it's not going to be okay. beneficial. We're, we're going to have to continue this one in the green room. Maybe you guys <laughs> can do live tweeting. Um, thank you so much. What a great discussion. <laughs> There are now more women than ever in Congress and on the presidential campaign trail, and they're bringing a new approach to politics as usual. Stay with us. If 2018 was the campaign year of the woman, 2019 is the year women take the lead. Are you all ready to make a ruckus? There's something a little different in the hallways of Congress and on the campaign trail. Women leaders are starting to feel less like the exception and more like the rule. The truth is, if we changed who's at the decision-making table, we would change everything. Three years after a woman made history as the first female major party nominee, now half the Democratic 2020 field is female, and many view their gender as a selling point. My mother used to say to me, um, Kamala, you may be the first to do many things, but make sure you're not the last. In the White House and on Capitol Hill, powerful women are smashing expectations. I want women to see that you do not get pushed around. And seizing control of the political conversation. It's oftentimes the most righteous thing you can do is shake the table. To be sure, sexism still exists. 
Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer just called on a local news station to focus on women's ideas and accomplishments instead of our appearance, after a report on the buzz about her dress at a recent speech. But if 2018 was the year of women getting elected, is 2019 the year when women get things done? The historic female duo leading the House Appropriations Committee, Democratic Chairwoman Nita Lowy and Republican Ranking Member Kay Granger say, just watch. We're going to show that how, how well two women can get this done. We're going to disagree but not be disagreeable and work things out. And what does the second richest man in the world think about Amazon's decision to break up with New York? Fareed Zakaria sits down with Bill Gates next. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 